also from a legal perspective, it's like you've got a wildly beating Web3 heart, yeah. right? And you need to protect that. Mm. But you don't want to build a fence around it. But you also have Alibaba, which is getting into the blockchain space. Wow. And that's not even getting into Africa. You hardly said any Western countries there. <laughs> I was like, what are these people talking about? Do you think the jargon is from us being arrogant, or is it really, we're like really building such new stuff, we need new words? Uh, Space Monkeys, blasting off with Chrissy Hill. She's the Chief Legal Officer of Parity, and we're really happy to have her on the show. Chrissy, thank you for being here on Space Monkeys. Thank you for having me, Jay. I appreciate the opportunity to sit down with you and have a chat. Absolutely. Um, we recently had Josh Clayman and Angie Dalton on the show. We were talking with them about morphing and also staking on that very day that we did the recording. This was the big news. Um, maybe you could help orient us to how you relate to them and how all of you relate to the ecosystem? Sure. Yeah. So I work for Parity Technologies, which is the software developer mm -hmm. um, and mainly responsible for delivering the relay chain. Okay. Angie is an outside advisor to the Web3 Foundation. Mm -hmm. The Web3 Foundation is the issuer of the native token, DOT. Mm -hmm. and Josh is an outside legal counsel, again, to the Web3 Foundation. Right. I am internal legal counsel for Parity. Again, Parity. the software developer, not the Web3 Foundation. Daniel Schoenberger is the chief legal officer for the Web3 Foundation. He's the internal legal yes. officer on the Web3 Foundation exactly. side. How did you get into this blockchain world? <laughs> Was it... Uh, a quick move over or were you kind of working your way toward this for many years? It was a quick move over. Uh -huh. I actually worked in a completely different industry until yeah. October 2021. So I was the chief operating officer and general counsel for Tony Blair's Institute for Global Change. So the former UK prime minister. Right. And I worked with him for eight and a half years. Okay. And his not-for-profit. Yeah. And at the end of 2021, it was time for me to strike out and do something new. Lockdown was quite intense from a personal and professional perspective. Hmm. I was going to take six months off. Hmm. And then I was approached about this job. And I was like, I'm not a, I'm not a fintech lawyer. Right. Uh, because before I worked for Mr. Blair, I was in financial services. Okay. So I actually started off life as a U.S. securities lawyer. Ah, yeah. gotcha. gotcha. And then struck out into compliance within an investment bank. I actually worked at Barclays Capital pre, during, and post-financial crisis. Yeah. Then struck out to work uh, in a different area of law and regulation with Mr. Blair. And okay. then that's why people thought that it would be a natural fit for me to strike out into this area because yeah. it is pioneering and new. And I had shown that I was capable and interested which is not always true for boring lawyers, as yeah. some may say. But I think, you know, my, it's slightly unfair. But I always like to say I'm not your average lawyer. I like to take on these pioneering areas. So here I am. Interesting. With your work with Mr. Blair, what was interesting you about that work? And what was pioneering about that work as well? So 
he actually, towards the end of my time in the last 18 months, started to get into tech for development. So looking at developing countries around the world and how technology can help those countries progress. So that, you know, was wetting my interest in the tech space. And everything that it, Mr. Blair did after leaving office was very unusual for a U former UK prime minister or oh. even a former world leader okay. to engage in. I, I don't know what you're talking about at all. Like, what, what was he doing? <laughs> was it legal? <laughs> so, so Are you getting him out of trouble? No, 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 <laughs> okay. no, no, it's a good question. No, never in trouble. Good. Uh, so there were two distinct areas for the Institute for Global Change. Mm -hmm. One was policy driven, so mm -hmm. writing policies on different topics that then governments could look to or political leaders could look to in terms of their own policy development. So it might be on fighting extremism or the economy or education mm -hmm. uh, or tech. And then the second part of the Institute for Global Change actually involved advisors being embedded in presidents and prime ministers' offices around the world to help mm. deliver the agenda for those particular presidents or prime ministers. Wow. And the Institute for Global Change helped with both. So when I first started in 2013, there were like 25 people. By the time I left in uh, 2021, there were 500 in like 30 jurisdictions around the world. Wow, okay. Yeah. so. You, you got a call? Somebody approached you about yes. working with Parity? Yes. Interesting. What do you think they were after? <laughs> what do you think they saw in you? What, do you? what did they need that you could provide? I think it was the ability to think outside the box. Really? And um, take some of these pioneering and new areas of law and regulation yeah. and make it work okay. for people and to help translate some of these more difficult legal concepts or technological concepts yeah. and make them digestible for people who aren't necessarily from the industry. Sure. So I'd like to think that is one of the things I bring to the table because I'm a plain speaking Southerner. Oh Jay, yeah, you, right. know? you just lay it uh, out. <laughs> sure, but there must've been this huge learning curve, right? Oh For yourself, gosh. right? Oh my gosh. Like, didn't you have to learn how to describe it to yourself first? Absolutely. So what, what were some of the things that surprised you? Oh, the jargon. The jargon is oh, insane. <laughs> yeah. When I first, I was like, what are these people talking about? Do you think the jargon is from us being arrogant or is it really, we're like really building such new stuff? We need new words. Uh, or we're I, on that spectrum. <laughs> I think it's we're building such new stuff that we need new words. Yeah. I do also think <laughs> that there is definitely a group identity there. Yeah. So if you know the language and you speak the language, so true. you then automatically connect. Right. I think, and that's fantastic to mm. find your tribe like that, as people say. Right. Uh, but what it can do is actually exclude mm. those who find the jargon or the tech or whatever it may be very opaque and yeah. not very um, kind of tangible. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where both sides need to work together to yeah. find some common ground. And that's like the translation part. So, yeah. I um, love that. That's such a good insight. I'm 
I've been trying my best with that steep learning curve yeah. to identify areas where I think now that I know more what I'm talking about, that I you know don't forget how hard it was for me at first right. and then hopefully help other people not make the same mistakes or just, you know, get up the curve much, much faster than I did sure. because I can share some of those insights because mm-hmm. I did come totally fresh and was like, wow, this is a lot. <laughs> well, to be honest, you and I got in at around the same time. Right. So we've been at it for oh, about the same time. Really? Yeah. Wow. Fantastic. So you can learn a lot fast because it's so fascinating. Oh my right? gosh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and from a legal and regulatory standpoint, mm-hmm. right? When I joined in January 2021, that was actually my first day. Sure. So the regulatory space was not nearly as active as it is today. Right. So, from my perspective, my job, I mean, the last six to eight months have just been unprecedented. So, the learning curve has gotten significantly longer mm-hmm. in that space of time, which is interesting from a intellectual perspective and a legal perspective, but it's also quite destabilizing for lots of people. And so again, trying to navigate that ground when it's changing literally daily. Wow. It's been great. It's what I want. But sometimes I think, "Mm, be careful what you wish for. Uh Right. (laughs) So as far as this external dialogue goes, uh, who are you speaking with mostly? Well, talking with different, uh, trade groups. Trade groups. So for instance, keeping, well, or maybe industry groups, I should Uh call them rather than trade groups, industry groups, whether it's uh, Tech GC. So that's very active community for general counsels, chief legal officers that are focused on the tech space. Okay. I also speak a lot to external advisors like Angie and Josh within the ecosystem. We have a regular call, uh, which we have, don't have an official name for, but I like to call POCA Legal, where the legal teams from Kilt, Unfinished, Web3 Foundation, Parity, and also Engine talk about different issues and mm-hmm. how it impacts the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And we're constantly inviting other legal teams as they exist to come and join us and share ideas. Yeah. And then, of course, also thinking about speaking with uh, different regulators around the world and also different lawmakers, Hmm. again, to help translate what we do, because it's obviously more than just crypto. Yeah, right. Blockchain use cases are infinite, really. Yeah. And it's about getting people excited and understanding that you need to unpack these things. Yep. And if we are building the blockchain infrastructure, there are a number of different stops off that infrastructure train. Sure. Like if it were like the New York subway. Sure. Gaming is one. NFT is another. Crypto is another. So, mm. you know, and so on and so forth. What do you think the uh, general feeling of regulation is with those who are regulating? Like, mm. What are they t- speaking about? So I always tell this funny story about okay. when I first joined and I was in the UK mm-hmm. with some lawmakers. One of the gentlemen asked me, he was like, oh, Chrissy, how am I supposed to take an industry seriously when they don't even spell hold or build the right way? <laughs> yeah. This goes back to the jargon. Sure. Now, and I laughed at first. Yeah. But then I was like, oh, actually, that's a really serious translation and understanding point yeah. that he's bringing up. I mean, mm-hmm. he was kind of joking, but kind of not yeah. because it was something that, 
it's an inside joke that he didn't understand. Yeah. And that is not necessarily a positive thing when you're trying to get good regulation in place. And because I think regulation is coming. There is no doubt about that. Yeah. But what we want to do is engage in constructive conversations to have positive regulation that drives adoption and allows innovation. Yeah. And part of that is having those conversations. So what, what do you think regulators are, are after mostly? Are they trying to clamp down on, on this innovation? Are they worried about what's possible in this decentralized world? I think it depends upon the jurisdiction that you're talking about. Okay. I think you see a lot of positive developments. For instance, uh, in South America, in Brazil, you can pay your taxes in crypto. Wow. In the Middle East, you have Raz Al-Khaimah, which is one of the seven emirates, and it just created a digital free zone, uh, similar to the DIFC or the ADGM. Yeah, sure. Uh, you have the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange, which is loosening rules to allow, um, again, digital assets to be traded and um, crypto to be used in a really friendly way. Mm -hmm. In Asia, you have Hong Kong issuing some rules that are you know, much more friendly towards crypto. You also have Alibaba, which is getting into the blockchain space. Wow. And that's not even getting into Africa and all the different views around crypto and blockchain there. You hardly said any Western countries there. <laughs> you are very observant. What's with that? <laughs> I would say they have a more uh, active regulatory agenda. And I think it's a spectrum. I think you see the U.S., which is going very enforcement heavy. Yeah. Then you have the EU, which is trying to bring in place Mika, along with a constellation of other uh, laws, which will, which are new for the most part, which will regulate the industry. Mm. And then you have the UK, which is just issued a consultation at the beginning of Feb, and uh, the consultation ends at, at the end of April, which is trying to use the existing set of rules, yeah, but expand them to accommodate digital assets. Right, right. So that's where I'm saying, depending upon what jurisdiction, what part of the world you're in, there's a very different approach. I mean, Australia has totally kicked the can. They've said, we're not making any rules until 2024. Oh, really? So, okay. yeah, hmm. you, you just see different people handling things in very, very uh, different and divergent ways. Hmm. What, what do you think the ideal outcome looks like? Hmm. <laughs> I think that is a great question. I mean, I would want to see a world that is more truthful and less trustful. I want to see a world where individuals' rights are really respected, whether it's your right to privacy um, or your right to use open source software. Um, and that goes into some of the licensing requirements on the legal side. Mm. Also something that's secure and transparent and where innovation is encouraged right. and people aren't afraid of these changes that I think the Web3 vision can make possible, which ultimately are very positive and will level the playing field around the world for lots of different people. I'm actually curious specifically what you think about um, emerging markets. Mm. Um, how do you think blockchain is going to be implemented there? And how do you think that's going to change the course of their development? Well, I think in a lot of emerging markets, developing nations, they don't have the same red tape 
and bureaucracy sure. that is inherent in more developed systems. Yeah. So blockchain actually gives them the opportunity to leapfrog in some cases some of the constraints that you would see in maybe more developed systems. So maybe decisions can be made easier. Maybe mm. voting, for instance, could go straight on blockchain. Imagine. Maybe health records could go, again, straight on blockchain. Right. I mean, we're not even getting into DeFi and things like that, but obviously in countries with unstable currencies or hyperinflation, crypto is really an important development, yeah. which, again, I think we have to lift our eyes up and see the whole world and all the different use cases. Yeah. Within the Polkadot ecosystem, do you see a lot of support for these emerging markets or, or do you think maybe there's a ways to go there? I think that, you know, there are definite use cases, parachains, ideas that are being focused on and supported. I think there can always be more. Yeah. Uh, and I think also it's not just um, people building, it's also potential builders. So the uh, yes. Polkadot Blockchain Academy is mm -hmm. really important and targeting devs from all over the world is again, an important component of what we're trying to achieve. Right. And I think that's how you support some of those less developed nations and also the more developed nations. Yeah, sure, of course. Yeah. All right, so that's a good view of what you see uh, outside externally. Mm. Um, now I'll just get you to turn around, okay? Here you are looking at parody. Yes. What do you see? Oh, well, <laughs> it's sometimes hard to lift my head up, my own head up to look at what's going on within Parity because I am just busy with the day-to-day, -day, right? Yeah. Parity, I mean, we've grown a lot over the last year. Yeah. Um, I think we've had like 200% growth. In, in headcount? In, in headcount. Yeah. So that is, I think, really important for supporting everyone's work and where we want to go in terms of being a software developer. Yep. and supporting deep engineering and our core devs. And um, that in turn will help support the Polkadot ecosystem. Sure. And I think we have a ways to go in terms of our culture because we've grown so fast. There's mm -hmm. no company that grows like that that doesn't have work to do on culture. And actually you always have work to do on culture. It's a never ending job. Yeah. But we're definitely starting to gel more and more under the leadership of Bjorn and others to come together as a coherent whole that is really looking to achieve some pretty fantastic stuff. Okay. Is there, I mean, I would imagine here you have these amazing talented builders with oh their heads, heads down, yeah. you know, just trying to build out their wildest dreams, right? Absolutely. And here they come up against the edge of reality. And, and I imagine often you are the one to deliver some sobering <laughs> facts about the way the world works. Um, tell me a little bit about that interplay. And, That's and, interesting, yeah. And how you keep building in, in a regulated world. If I were to give myself a bit of advice when I first joined. Okay, sure. Like what I wish I had known. Yeah. I... I'm so privileged to work with such talented, pioneering, amazing minds. Yeah, bet. And I wish someone had sat me down and said, Chrissy, you're working with artists. 
Ooh. right? They're real creators. They're really building something new and exciting. Some artists, their medium is clay, mm. some bronze, some canvas on oil. Mm -hmm. These artists use code to build. Yeah. You know, you need to remember that. And also remember that sometimes that means there's an artistic temperament that goes along with that creation process. Yeah. And so when it comes to talking about some of, you know, as I think, you know, you alluded to some of the things that maybe aren't possible right now because of laws, because of regulation, because we're still trying to achieve a Web3 vision. Yeah. You know, when you deliver those messages, you have to think about how you talk about them in a positive, constructive way. Right. And I never start off with no. I can't start off with yes. <laughs> I have to start off with perhaps or maybe or let's talk about it. So I understand. Yeah. And, I'm, and I always come from a place of curiosity. And I think I've been able to build really trusting relationships with a lot of the key individuals within Parity so we can have really honest conversations. But that takes time. So you have a lot of ongoing conversations yes. happening, yes. a lot of moving parts, maybe yeah. people building over top of each other. and Yeah, you know, when you grow so fast. Right, yeah. It, and people have so many ideas and they're so creative. And, and that is, I think, one of the challenges that our engineering department really works hard at making sure uh, doesn't happen as often as you might think. They do a really fantastic job, mm -hmm. Stefan, um, managing that. So yeah, uh, it's 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 very streamlined in ways, but still allowing for that innovation. Okay, so I, I want to get your take on this, if if you don't mind talking specifically about American regulation, just for a second. <laughs> okay, <laughs> as an American living outside yeah, um, in yeah. London for the past <laughs> twenty one years, <laughs> right? Um, I will do my best part of that morphing process. We mm. won't get too deep into that specifically, but there was this idea where we can say that we don't rely on uh, a single entity to, to drive. We're not profiting from a single entity, right? Mm. Um, but w how do you think parity falls into that? Is there a risk of parity becoming that, you know, single entity that people rely on for profit? And, and, and is there a risk of, of returning back to kind of more of a security designation? How does how does Parity's continuation fit into that so story? It, it's an interesting question, and <laughs> I'm sure Angie and Josh uh, would have spoken probably much more intelligently. We, we actually didn't get to talk about Parity in this regard. Yeah. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. Because um, because Angie and Josh and Daniel Schoenberger have done so much work. Yeah. On morphing and uh, you know it's years of work and engagement, and a lot of the approaches that you see that are in place for the ecosystem are driven by the Web3 Foundation right. and, and that advice as the issuer of the, the native token. Mm -hmm. uh, but for parity, you know, we're always very conscious that we want more polka dot and less parity. Right. And so when something gets to maturity, maybe we think about spinning it out. Maybe we would think about um, common good parachain, for instance. Mm. There are lots of different ways where the tech can maybe be incubated within parachain. Just going to say it. Yeah, yeah, great. But then be released out. And I think that is definitely something that we're always thinking about. Okay, fascinating. Yeah. So you're saying before we started recording that you were the first female member of C the C-suite. Yes. And I actually never heard of the C-suite before. 
Um, so maybe you can enlighten us to what the C-suite is. What's it doing? Well, it, it's more of a corporate term, I guess. Oh. So it's like, you know, the the CFO, the uh, oh yes, CMO, the chiefs, the chief, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, exactly. Yeah, the chiefs, exactly. All right. <laughs> and um, I was hired as the first female member of the C-suite gotcha. at Parity. Mm-hmm. So I was actually the first. The C-suite was really built out last year, mm-hmm. and I was the first person to join in January. And it wasn't until probably May, June, July that other members of the C-suite joined. Okay. I mean, some were already in place, such yeah. as Bjorn or Jimmy Cliff, but then others joined kind of throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And so how I, I like to see or talk about what we do, and also from a legal perspective, it's like you've got a wildly beating Web3 heart. Right. And you need to protect that. Mm. But you don't want to build a fence around it. What you need is a protective mesh that allows the heart to beat wildly, but still gives it some structure and protection. So it, you know, is not damaged. And that's how I see our job as a leadership team. Right. And particularly from the legal perspective, because I think. Laws and regulation can obviously be very constraining and sure. we, and by nature, right? But we always want to make sure, again, that it's, um, that we are approaching these topics in a way that makes sense for parity and yeah. for Web3 vision. Right. Absolutely. So w- what does that vision look like? Let's say it's a, it's a hard one, but five years from now, mm-hmm. okay? You've been here for, you said 18 months, okay? 14. 14 months. I'm not that much of a veteran yet, Jay. (laughs) So, I mean, five years is a long time. I mean, in the regulatory landscape, the technology itself could look completely different by then, right? Yeah. But what sort of world do you hope comes about in five years? So I have a 12-year-old and a 7-year-old, both girls. Right. And actually, they are so far ahead with coding in their schools, like they're already learning Scratch and Python, and, and it's amazing. Oh, that is nice. And they're very interested in the STEAM field or the STEM field, yeah. however you. Um, and so I hope that in five years' time that they are able to come into this industry that is widely used, that there is a Web3 vision of the world, like that's, you know, if not fully in place, then getting there and uh-huh. for them to be able to be really at home and see themselves represented within this much larger, vibrant community. And I think that could be in their day-to-day lives. It could be with the way they pay for things, for instance. Yeah. It could be, again, the way they vote, mm-hmm. how they have access to their information, how they protect their own information. Right. And how they engage... In real life, but also virtually. Sure. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with AI and also quantum computing. Mm. And, you know, so many variables. I'm a a Gen Xer. So the amount of (laughs) technological change that I've seen in my lifetime alone. Oh, man. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's hard to envisage exactly what it will look like. Mm -hmm. I want to focus on what it would feel like for them and the opportunities it would afford to them and and, um, having a a community, again, that's very inclusive. Hmm. With with more women in the field, not only using 
the technology, but also building it. Mm. Do you think the technology will change? Do you think, think it will so. be built different? In what ways? I think so. Okay. I'll give you a, an example. Sure. I think that diversity of thought is yeah. hugely important. And that's just, it brings different perspectives to exactly. the table. And sometimes you don't even recognize that you might have an unconscious bias or only be pulling data from particular data sources when there might be others available. And I have a friend who's very dark skinned and he was trying to um, use a camera to take his picture to get a bank account. Mm. But because he had quite dark features, the AI would not pick up his actual features unless we stood him under a light yep. and then took a picture. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because the reference was Caucasian That's right. skin yep. tones and faces yep. and not someone who was darker skinned. And that is something that if you have different people inputting into what's being built, you'll get different perspectives, which can only make things better. I totally agree with you. How can we expect to get to the truth with only a few points of view? Absolutely. And I think this all the time when I see kind of people building centralized structures within this decentralized world, I just think, well, how can you know that that's the right way if it's just you and a few people deciding it? Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm so I'm totally on board with that. And oh, I, I really hope we can onboard the world, not only as users, but as builders as well. Absolutely. I'm 100% yeah. behind that and want to do my part to make that a reality. Fantastic. Well, Chrissy, thanks very much for coming on the show. It's really lovely to hear your point of view. And um, thanks for all the work you're doing with Parity and um, for being a bit of a, a face of parody today on the show. We really appreciate getting to know you guys. <laughs> well, thank you for having me today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I think you've asked some really insightful questions and I'm not just saying that, I really mean it. Thanks uh, very much. <laughs> I would love to sit down with you again and have another conversation and bring also more people from Parity Let's for do you it. to speak to because I Let's think we it. have a unique perspective. I think the Polkadot ecosystem is so exciting. Yep. I really believe in it and I feel like we need to talk about it more and our roles in the development of this yep. ecosystem. Absolutely. All right, well, whatever city we run into each other next, yeah. <laughs> we'll speak then. <laughs> where are we going? Someplace uh, where they speak Spanish. How about somewhere warm? Okay, yeah, <laughs> the beach. <laughs> that sounds nice. <laughs> I am definitely on the beach. <laughs> are you? Yeah, yeah, perfect. Exactly. See you there. I'll see you there. Thanks, Chrissy. Thank you, Jay.